Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Is 
six I minutes. I spoke with Senator somebody. Elizabeth Warren, Democrat from Massachusetts, about the bill she proposed today. For 70 million Americans who, were, uh, who count on Social Security, who count on veterans' benefits, who count on disability benefits and others that are all related to each other, they're going to get nothing this year in, by way of an increase if we don't make some changes. But for 350 CEOs in the largest corporations in America, they just got a raise basically of about 3.9%. And that's a lot of money because their base rate is already over $16 million on average. Now, why this is relevant is that both of those are related to federal policies. The first one, as you rightly identify, has to do with how the federal government identified COLA and set up the calculations. And the short answer there is it's based on about a quarter of the population. It's not targeted to the seniors who actually are depending on Social Security. And as a result, not a very good reflection of their expenses. But the other one, the CEO pay, where they've got their 3.9%, is also the consequence in part of some federal rules. And there it's the rule that says corporations can decide how much to pay their CEOs, and that's fine. But when they do it, the taxpayers are forced to make a subsidy to them. There's a, there's a giant tax loophole that permits corporations to be able to deduct a substantial portion of what they're giving to these CEOs. So here's what my bill says. It says, you know, why don't we stitch up that loophole and take exactly that same money? We're not going to run up the deficit or anything. Just take exactly that money where right now taxpayers are subsidizing CEOs. How about if we take that money and make a one-time payment to the Social Security recipients and the vets, make a one-time payment to make up for the fact that they're not getting a cost of living this year? You know, so we got a, the money. This was, it's this just how we a, want to spend it. So here's then. So here's my question to you. Um, this sounds like a good idea as, as, as yeah. policy policy goes. But you know, you've got a minority in the Senate. Uh, the author of the Ryan budget, which just a few years back, the first iteration of it wanted to essentially privatize Medicare, is now the Speaker of the House. Uh, have you had any interest from Republicans on any of this? Is this a doable, accomplishable thing with the current Congress? So let me point out that Republicans have criticized this particular loophole already, hmm. in, 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 which is really interesting. Senator Grassley has gone after it. Senator McCain uh, partnered up with Senator Levin a couple of years ago to eliminate this loophole. And the Republicans in the House in 2014 said a big part of what they were doing in their whole tax reform passage, uh, package included stitching up this loophole. So look, here's the deal. We know how to do this. We know where the money is. Nobody wants to defend this loophole. What we need is we just need the momentum to get this done. And what that means is we need people all across this country to be saying, I want this change. Instead of subsidizing CEO pay, I want that very same money to be used for people who are living on Social Security and veterans benefits and disability benefits. Same money, don't run up the deficit, and besides that as an extra bonus, I want to help strengthen Social Security over the long run. It, that's that makes 
so much sense. We just need to get out there and get it done. And by the way, I should say, I'm organizing people at ElizabethWarren.com to try to get folks to sign on and to tell senators and congressmen all across this country, make this change. This shouldn't be partisan. Everybody jump on. Let's make the change. Senator, let, let me ask you this question. Um, uh, you wrote a great book called The Two-Income Trap uh, before you were a senator, and it's about uh-huh. the, the struggles that that, that two-income families, middle-class families face in terms of the mounting debt. And I was curious to get your opinion. Your colleague, Marco Rubio, has been getting a lot of attention. He's obviously running for president. A lot of people have been paying attention to his basically personal finances, debt that he ran up, student debt, whether responsible or not. And I was curious what your thoughts were on this line of uh, critique, inquiry on this colleague, particularly because it seems to pertain so closely to something that you've been studying and thinking about for so long. You know, what's interesting to me about it is what do you take away from it? You know, it's tough out there. It's tough for people trying to get an education. It's tough for people trying to start out in life. So what do you take away from that? What I want to, what I think are the right takeaways are that we need to do more to invest in young people who are trying to get an education, that we need to do more to raise wages around this country. We need to do more to protect people who are on Social Security. What troubles me about Marco Rubio is for him to live firsthand some of the squeeze mm-hmm. on a lot of Americans across this country and to take away the message that government should still run for those at the top, that, that, that we need to recapture our government, and we need to recapture it so it works not just for those at the top, not just for millionaires and billionaires and those who can hire armies of lobbyists and lawyers. We need to make it work for Americans, for, for everybody. Elizabeth Warren, Senator from Massachusetts, thank you for your time. Thank you. Hey, YouTube fans, I'm Luke Russert. Thanks for checking out our... That was great. And Luke Russer, who inherited his job from his father. Yeah, that's passed nice. away, and now he is the young buck, you know, head, future head of the NBC New World Order News. Yes, here we go. Aren't we excited? So, but Elizabeth Warren, I don't know, she would have made a good candidate. This yeah, year. I love her. Of course, the Hillary. She couldn't do that. She was shut out by. Yeah, she was told she would get killed if she didn't, if she ran. Don't run. Don't run against Hillary because you will beat her and she will be angry and she will kill you. No, don't put ridiculous Leo. Oh, she killed a bunch of people. Well, you know. He's being funny. But there isn't any humor. There's a couple to, of us. There isn't there, any, there isn't any yeah. humor to it because I would have liked to have seen Elizabeth Warren out there. It would have been, a lot of good issues would have been raised. There would have been some decent kind of conversations. But uh, I don't know why she backed down. It's too bad. Uh, well, she backed down because of political pressure. You know? mm-hmm. She would have destroyed uh, Hillary in the. Elections. I think so. Oh, she would have destroyed her. She would have destroyed Bernie. Yeah. She's a very bright woman. Yeah. But uh, it's all crazy. Uh, okay. Well, that's uh, that was some of the interesting things here. But tolerance and apathy are the last virtues of a dying society. Hmm. That was from Aristotle. Huh. That, that might be true. That might be true. 
And the Bible says, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. <laughs> Luke Twenty-two thirty-six. Is interesting, huh? Hmm. That was interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, here's something. The first crusade began in 1095. Yeah. 460 years after the first Christian city was overrun by Muslim armies. 443 years after Muslims plundered Italy. 427 years after Muslim armies first laid siege to Christian capital of Constantinople. 380 years after Spain was conquered by Muslim armies. 363 years after France was first attacked by Muslim armies. 249 years after the capital of the Christian world, Rome itself, was sacked by a Muslim army. By the time the Crusades finally began, Muslim armies had conquered two-thirds of the Christian world. There you go. Yeah. Interesting, huh? That's some interesting facts. Well. But you know what? We had all kinds of families, armies uh, that, yeah, yeah. you know, we had the um, the Mongols yeah. and the Huns and the, you know, overrunning Europe and plundering. Sure. Uh, we had the Roman army. Funded the whole the whole oh, yeah. world. The Greeks. Well, you know, we do. All well, these six cultures. Kinds, six kinds of big pills. Big Pharma tries to get you hooked on for life. Interesting. Huh? Oh, since the direct consumer drug, drug average, I don't think they should have had that late in the 1990s. The number of people on prescri- prescription drugs for life has ballooned. Why has Big Pharma failed to produce new antibiotics for deadly infections like MRSA? Uh, I can't pronounce it. I can't pronounce it. And all these. Lots of viruses. Even as they leap from hospital to community because there is no money in it, is the answer. Pharma executives have shown less interest in medicines like antibiotics that actually cure diseases than in those that only treat symptoms, writes Melody Peterson, author of Our Daily Meds. Most blockbusters are pills for conditions such as anxiety, high cholesterol, or constipation that must be taken daily, often for months or years. They are designed for rich Americans who can afford to buy them. Nor are medicines for tropical diseases like malaria, which kills a child every 30 seconds of priority. They also lack touching. And since direct uh, to consumer drug advertisement debuted uh, in the 1990s, the. Consumer drug advertising debuted in the late 1990s. The number of people on prescription drugs, especially drugs for life, has ballooned. Between 2001 to 2007, the percentage of adults and children on one or more prescriptions for chronic conditions rose by more than 12 million, reported the Associated Press. And 25% of U.S. children now take a medication for a chronic condition. 7% of kids 
uh, 7% of kids, where, I, where was I read that, reading that, oh, take two or more daily drugs. Who says advertising doesn't work? Of the top-selling drugs in 2011, led by Lipitor, Nexium, Plavix, Advair, Discus, Abilify, Seroquel, Singular, and Crestor, none is taken occasionally or is needed. And the treatment goal is to never get off the drug, like an antibiotic. Why would pharma deal itself out of the game? There are two ways pharma hooks the U.S. public on prescriptions for life. First, prescriptions that used to be taken as needed for pain, anxiety, gastrointestinal, gastroesophageal reflux, asthma, mood problems, migraines, and even erectile dysfunction, gout, and retroviruses are now full-time medicines. Instead of having a bad day or heartburn, you have a disease like anxiety which calls for pharmaceutical artillery. Instead of having body pain to be treated trans transentially, you are put on an antidepressant like Cymbalta or a seizure drug like Lyria or Neurotin. Yes. Neurotin indefinitely. Secondly, many of the top selling drugs today are to prevent chronic conditions like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, osteoporosis that people are said to be at risk for. Nevertheless, to say in both cases, people never know if the drugs are working or whether they would have had symptoms without them. <laughs> this creates a loyal customer who is afraid to quit the prescription because it might be working, and why should they quit anyway when a third party is probably paying? Here are some drugs, not all, that are marked for perpetuity. ADHD drugs and drugs for pediatric psychopathologies. Thanks to pharma, diagnosed early in screening campaigns, millions of children are treated with stimulants for ADHD and antipsychotics for bipolar disorder and assorted conduct, oppositional defiance, and development disorders and spectrums today. No wonder Michael Bandick, brand manager of Eli Lilly's popular antipsychotic Zypresca, calls it the molecule that keeps on giving at a national sale meeting. Oh, but giving kids daily drugs creates two problems. First, parents will never know if their kids would have outgrown their conditions. And secondly, it's unlikely they'll ever get uh, clean. In fact, pharma marketers worry about the revenue threat of kids going off their meds when they leave home and even run an ad in campaigns and college newspapers to keep them on. But ad, one ad shows the lead singer of Maroon 5 uh, declaring, I remember being the kid with ADHD. Truth is, I still have it. The ad tag reads, if you're ADHD, own it. And hormone replacement therapy, when the popular hormone replacement therapy pill, Prempo, was launched by Wyeth, now Pfizer, in the 1980s, then-CEO Bob Eisner uh, told uh, sales associates, we can make real the full promise of HDR, HRT um, to create in the near future a world where the majority of women will start H HRT at menopause, hormone replacement therapy, and continue on it for the rest of their lives, reports uh, Philadelphia Magazine. The scheme of treating estrogen deficiency for 30 to 40 or 40 years worked 
with two thousand until two thousand two when HRT was found to cause breast cancer, heart attacks, strokes, blood clots and dementia. There were some of the conditions it was supposed to prevent. Whoops. <laughs> but pharma has not abandoned the billion dollar franchise and news and news about estrogen. Benefits is creeping uh back into the news predicted on the public short memory. And mm-hmm. people don't lose hormones because of their age. They age because they lose hormones. And after, it says pharma hormone sellers, and even men now suffer from testosterone deficiencies or low T. Three. Happy pills. Yeah. Pharma's success in convincing people with the anxiety, the blues, that they need an antidepressant was a Wall Street coup. Instead of taking the occasional Xanax, people agreed to alter their entire body chemistry with a drug they took for months, years, or decades. But as antidepressants fall in popularity because of their many side effects, including alarming discontinuation symptoms when people try to stop, WebMD is conducting damage control to keep people on them. Don't believe that antidepressants turn you into a zombie make you gain weight, ruin your sex life, sex life, make you forget your problems rather than dealing with them, or cost let's see, too much, says the huge pro-pill website in one article. Depression is linked to heart disease, obesity, and diabetes, Alzheimer's, and cancer, says the second WebMB. Stay on your meds. Proton pump inhibitors. Some say gastro... Um, Esophageal reflux uh, disease. Gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD is just slowly heartburn uh, whipped up by a pharma into a profitable heart disease or disease. But over 110 million prescriptions were written for proton pump inhibitors like Nexium and Prevacid in 2009, making it the third most prescribed class of drugs. Long-term use of PPIs increased the risk of hip, risk, and spine fracture. Wow. And the FDA warns that the drug can cause potentially lethal C, deficile, uh, cause diarrhea. Lethal C, deficile, cause diarrhea. And community-acquired pneumonia, says the National Health Advocacy Group. But pharma has a different message. GERD can lead to esophageal inflammation scar tissue, and cancer. If untreated, it tells patients and symptoms won't go away on their own. No wonder doctors call PPI purple crack. Yeah. And statins. The best-selling statin drugs like Lipitor and Crestor that lower their cholesterol risks are pretty much the definition of lifer medications taken in, perpetu- in perpetuity. Uh, who would dare go off of them and risk cardiovascular events? One patient on a cholesterol drug site writes that despite feeling miserable on statins, what do you do? Go off the statins and let your arteries clog up? But medical professionals say it is not safe to stay on statins indefinitely. Patients are at risk of liver dysfunction, dysfunction, acute kidney failure, cataracts, and muscle damage. And statins can also cause memory loss, increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes, and muscle damage. Damn. Still, the statins do that to you, and they, and they advise all uh, diabetics to, to use statins. 
still the appeal of a drug that lowers the risk of cardiovascular events without a change in diet or lifestyle made Lipitor the top-selling drug in the world until recently when its patent expired. And statins are now prescribed for kids for the same reason. Oh, my God. Hmm. Asthma controlled medicines. Like ADHD. Pediatric psychopathology drugs. Pharma conducts aggressive early treatment campaigns for asthma drugs, recommending that children as one as young year be treated. Uh, I can't read that. I don't know. You went to a different... Uh. Our cat is mad because we're not paying attention to yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, ADHD, uh, hormone replacement therapy, happy pills. Where were we? Keep going. Proton pump, statins. We already did that. Asthma control medicine. Go ahead, go down. Okay. Um, it is also marketed daily asthma control medicines like Advair and Simbacord so aggressively that nearly two-thirds of the nation's million asthma sufferers take them, despite the expense of adding an additional drug to rescue inhalers or or inhaled corticosteroids when asthma is a lifelong disease. There's no clinical benefit to the upsell. Neither trips to the ER or hospitalizations are reduced with controlled drugs, and there's another mark against the daily drugs that don't work. They make the asthma worse, as some published reports. Oh boy. Well, so anyway, that's that's the extent of that, folks, which is really quite frightening. And you can get that article at Alternet. Um and uh that is pretty Let's just check and see if Larry is I already did. Yeah, he hasn't come on yet. He hasn't. Yeah. Did he give us a a time when he, he got said it? he'd he'd call if he could. Oh, you know, okay. And, and, yeah, he's and, got uh, kind of a he didn't wanna he didn't want to commit to a time. No, but he yeah, you will if you come again. Again, that's just the way it is. Might be next week. He's that's our friend Larry Dorman from um, yeah. Ask Me Council Four. Yeah. He we talk to him about once a month, but it's a very busy time right now for him. Yeah, he's had a number of meetings and so on. But uh, let, aside from that, let's go to a couple more things I wanted to talk about. Just did. Um, to break a big pharma strangle, will doctors vote for ban on drug ads? I thought that was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, don't like them advertising yeah. on pushing pills. It says, uh, the break big pharma strangle, will doctors vote for ban on drug ads? Pharma- prescription drug prices have already become a presidential campaign issue with healthcare costs a top concern for American voters. In an attempt to combat the soaring cost of prescription drugs and big pharma's stranglehold on the U.S. healthcare system, the American Medical Association has approved a new policy to support a ban on direct-to-consumer advertising for prescription drugs and implantable medical devices. I, I totally agree. I would love to see them ban those damn things from all television ads. Oh, I think so, too. Okay, today vote. today's vote in support of an advertising ban reflects concerns among physicians about the negative impact of commercially driven promotions and the role that marketing costs play in fueling escalating drug prices, um, said AMA Board Chair-elect Patrick Harris, MD. 
Kennedy in a press statement on Tuesday. The vote took place on the MA's 215 interim meeting in Atlanta. Supporters of the ban also cited concerns, uh, including patent uh, confusion, patient confusion, and encouragement of off-label or unapproved use of certain drugs. The MA points out that the U.S. and New Zealand are the only two countries in the world that allow direct-to-consumer advertising of prescription drugs. Mm. Wow. What more, advertising dollars spent by drug makers has increased by 30% in the last two years to $4.5 billion. So that's all you see on TV. On TV, it's it's news and anything. Once in a while, interspersed by a car ad. Yeah. And in the first few years, prices on generic uh, and brand-name prescription drugs have steadily risen. Experience a 4.7% spike in 2015 alone according to the uh, Altarium Institute Center of Sustainable Health Spending. And this article goes on for a whiz, but uh, the thing to remember is, indeed, prescription drug prices have already become a presidential campaign. With everyone from Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, to Marco Rubio, and Ben Carson acknowledging the health care are co- top concern for American voters. A separate piece from STAT, also published Tuesday, Silverman, pointed out a new poll which finds that 91% of voters believe it's important for presidential candidates to hold down rising prescription costs. Interesting. Yeah, they should be able to buy them at the same price that you get in Canada. Now, this is interesting here because Hillary, dear Hillary, okay, is attacking Bernie Sanders' plan for single-payer health care. Well, that's what I want. I want a single-payer. Yeah, but she's attacking it, so that tells you that she's a she's a dupus. Well, and, uh, it's, it's, she's a product of yeah, the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, she's a she's a pharma whore. You know? Hillary Clinton took aim on Tuesday at Bernie Sanders' plan for single-payer health care system. She did not mention Sanders by name at a rally at a Dallas community college, instead saying, one thing we should not do is follow a proposal that has been made by one of my opponents. I was actually the only one on this on that debate stage on Saturday who will commit to raising your wages and not your taxes, Clinton said, referring to the presidential debate. I can't see how you can be serious about raising incomes if you also want to slap new taxes on them, no matter what the taxes would pay for. The Clinton campaign pointed to legislation Sanders introduced in 2013 and said it would mean a tax increase on working families while a strategist for his campaign team said that detail for how his current proposal would be funded is delayed until they have a fully costed analysis. His and many health experts' position is that a single-payer plan would ultimately reduce inequality and ultimately save taxpayers money by putting health care security above corporate profits. Well, can't have that. Let's, oh, see, no. if, let's see if we and have, if we have uh, a... Yes, but I don't think he is. Uh, well, do we just have to pop back and see just in case? We'll be right back. Probably won't then. If usually, if he doesn't get to probably, yeah, probably won't. I don't expect him to. That's too bad. But anyway, that uh, we hope that he will eventually join us. That would be nice. Um, yeah, but I lost my face. 
Yeah. That was a good, 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 uh, good thing too. We'll get back to it. One out of five. Oh, okay. One out of five Americans are unable to afford the drugs prescribed to them by doctors. Yeah. 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 Oh, I agree. I, I, that is terrible. No. Help people with mental health disorders, mental health counseling programs, you know, letters and that. Let's see what that says. No, well-deserved spanking is not child abuse. Share if you agree. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Who's yeah. determining whether it's well-deserved or not? Yeah. And so. who's applying it? So what did it say about mental health? I don't know. I want to go back, go back up. Mental health counselors are needed. Help they're people. just needed. That's all. It's just oh. an ad for oh, mental health. Oh, it's an ad. Okay. Because yeah. they are needed. Yeah. Uh, anyway, these are. This is what's going on, folks. Really, something else. Uh, and we must go here. Um, oddly enough, Bernie Sanders voted for crime laws that he denounced. That was interesting. Maybe he's changed his mind. Maybe he's changed his mind. It depends when he voted for them, you know. Yeah. Bernie Sanders voted for criminal justice measures he is now denouncing. Bernie Sanders has made ending mass incarceration a big part of this campaign. We have too many people in prison, he says. We don't invest enough in communities. On July 15th, Sanders spoke in support of an education bill. The result of kids not being in school and kids not having jobs, that is, tragically, today, where in this country we have more people in jail than any other country on earth. Pretty sad. Well, Sanders votes to lock him up. Well, 21 years ago, well, 21 well, years ago, he has right? the right to change his mind. Yeah, Sanders was saying very much the same thing before voting for bills that caused the prison population to skyrocket. In Congress, in 1994, in a speech, a Sanders supporter uh, shared at the Daily Cause, Sanders denounced America's prison system and blamed crime on poverty. But it is also my view that through the neglect of our government and through a grossly irrational set of uh, priorities, we are dooming tens of millions of young people to a future of bitterness, misery, hopelessness, drugs, crime, and violence. And Mr. Speaker, all of the jails in the world and we already in prison more people per capita than any other country, and that was 20 years ago, he said. Yeah. Uh, and all of the executions in the world will not make the situation right. We can either educate or electrocute, and we can create meaningful jobs, rebuild a society, or we can build more jails. But it's interesting, though, that uh, he was pro and now he's con, which is, uh, you know, that's good. But we all have the right to change our minds. And 20 years ago, it's quite a while ago. It's not like he voted for it yesterday. No. So maybe he revised his thinking on that. I don't know. But unfortunately, uh, politicians will say a lot of things to get elected, then they get elected, and yeah. they do go back on their work. Sure. It's called politics. They'll yeah. say they had to compromise or whatever it is. Well, Spain issues arrest warrants for Netanyahu and senior official officials. Ooh, interesting. I thought that was interesting. Yes. Well, and Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and six other former and current government officials are at risk of arrest if they enter Spain following the issue of 
uh, what is effectively an arrest warrant for the group by a Spanish judge. Huh. Spanish National Court Judge Jose de la Mata ordered the police and civil guard to notify him if Netanyahu or other men enter the country. And the Latin American Herald Tribune reports that could result in the reopening of a case against them concerning the Gaza Freedom Flotilla Act of 2010. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's good news. So uh, that's good. That's good. That's good. So anyway, we'll see. Netanyahu is a war criminal. Always was. Always will be. <laughs> and uh, it is an interesting thing, you know, because this keeps coming up all the time. I've seen this quote so many times. It's like uh, Herman Gerwing said, people can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. That is easy. All you have to do is tell them they are being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to danger. It works the same way in any country. Yes, yeah, I mean, that's what they just did in France. Mm-hmm. Just did that in France. My God, my God. Hillary Clinton's throwing a little dinner for her supporters. Oh, but not you. The, the, the Democratic DNC. National Committee costs per plate of $33,400. She's so down to earth like that. While Bernie is trying to get elected to help feed kids living in poverty. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Getting $33,000 a plate. Imagine $33,000. Well, what kind of idiot would pay 33000 to see Hillary? I mean, well, it's, it's, it's got to be an idiot. It's a fundraiser. That. Well, a people. Fundraiser well, like, as, you know, why not as you're not listening, as Donald Trump said, he gave to everybody. Yeah, but who cares? I mean, they, well, I they mean, all do those guys. Like, they all but, get. But the thing is, they like, all have an oar in the water somewhere. $33,400. Okay. The DNC. In to, to to watch Hillary slurp some god awful caviar or something. You know, I mean that's the. They don't even get that. That's they probably have crummy food. Yeah, yeah. The Democrats are known for their crummy crummy buffets. Yeah, know. I remember Ned told us that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he you know, said that's the only trouble with being a Democrat. Lyman. You get lousy food. You get lousy food and a terrible yeah, uh, accommodation. Yeah. Republicans yeah. always. You pay two hundred fifty bucks for or five hundred dollars or whatever or. $10,000 for to go there and eat some uh, lousy cold chicken. You know, and that's what they, the, the Democrats are cheap. But they want a lot of money from you. That's right. You know, I, I don't, I, I can't stand them personally. U.S. UN official John yeah, Dugard, Israel's crimes are infinitely worse than in apartheid South Africa. Repeat, infinitely worse than in apartheid South Africa. Yeah, Think so about Israel that. Israel is worse than apartheid South Africa. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this this goes on. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I know. I know. We're supposed to be talking about <coughs> issues tonight, but but this this one this one knocked my knocked my socks off here. Really. Um, politically correct infant formula announced with extra transgender hormone to help parents. What? Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's, it's like th- it's so bizarre, you know? It's like politically correct infant formula announced with extra transgender hormones, right, to help parents change their children's gender before puberty. 
Thanks to it. Now, this is from uh, newsparody.com. Oh, I think it must be a joke. I don't think so. Why, why is it news parody? Well, that's just what it is. Thanks to our national transgender hero, Caitlyn Jenner, transgenderism is rapidly becoming mainstream. Gender bending has become cooler than David Bowie, especially among the kids nowadays. For young people, being transgender is about as controversial as being left-handed, to paraphrase the arch-conservative pundit George Will. As with any new trend, a trend a trendmonger uh, can't be far behind. And what, might you ask, is a trendmonger? Well, a trendmonger is a business that jumps on a trend and spreads it throughout the land, <laughs> using all the skills that pseudo-scientific market development departments have now available. A current example of transgender trend-mongering involves a, a seemingly likely product, baby formula, but first, some history is in order. Several years ago, under the pressure of popular opinion, baby formula manufacturers quit selling formula in cans lined with BPA, um, chemical name, uh, whatever, which leaches into the formula, and that's not good, unless you want your baby boy to become more like a girl. Well, as described by Natural News, BPA is a powerful hormone disruptor that responsible for feminizing males, spurring the growth of so-called man boobs and reducing sperm viability. According to the same publication, University of Missouri researchers have evidence that BPA, uh, which is in all soft drinks, by the way, the lining of the cans, causes male deer mice to lose their masculinity and behave more like females. In fact, female mice sense something isn't quite right about BPA-exposed males and don't want to mate with them. The female deer mice also were turned off by potential mates who have been exposed to BPA. Wow. Well, that explains uh, 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 Wallowitz. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. From the Big Bang? Yeah, yeah, Howard Wallowitz. But that's where the Big Bang, uh, that's, I'm sorry, the Big Pharma trend mongers at Abbott University come in. A company spokesman, H.P. Milstead, just announced that they will be packaging its famous Similac brand in a special line of BPA throwback cans under the brand name Similac Sissy. Yeah, uh, that's probably still... Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we'll forget that. Uh, but, in the meantime, isn't that cool? Yeah. It's 3D. Huh. 3D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, immediately after federal court blocked Obama's immigration plan, his administration took a huge action. That's when he gave an executive order for yeah. five million of them. Obama announced an executive order in 2014 which shielded up to five million illegal immigrants from deportation. At the time, Obama stated, the fact is millions of immigrants in every state of every race and nationality still live here illegally. And let's be honest. Um, Yeah. Okay. And it says, uh, at the time, 
Obama stated, the fact is millions of immigrants in every state of every race and nationality still living here illegally. And he, let's be honest, tracking down, rounding up, and deporting millions of people isn't realistic. It also isn't who we are as Americans. Okay. I well, think we need to have some kind of many policy. Re many yeah. Republicans spoke out against the executive order. Paul Rand, the current Republican president, uh, Rand Paul, excuse me, Paul Rand, <laughs> Rand Paul, a current Republican presidential candidate stated at the time, President Obama is not above the law and has no right to issue executive amnesty. His actions blatantly ignore the separations of powers and the principles that country was founded on. Twenty-six states mounted a legal challenge against the Obama administration over the legality of this executive order. Last February, U.S. District Judge Andrew Hannon granted a temporary injunction preventing the Obama administration from carrying out the order. On, on Monday, the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans followed the district court ruling and ruled two to one against Obama's executive order. Today, the Department of Justice said in a short statement that it would appeal the ruling to the Supreme Court. DOJ spokesman Patrick Roddenbush said, the Department of Justice remains committed to taking steps that will resolve the immigration litigations as quickly as possible in order to allow DHS to bring greater accountability to our immigration system by prioritizing the removal of the worst offenders, not people who have a long ties to the U.S. and who are raising American children. The department disagrees with the Fifth Circuit's ruling and intends to seek further review from the Supreme Court. Senate Democrat leader Harry Reid said in a statement that he has every confidence that the Supreme Court will find the actions lawful. What do you think of the Obama administration plan to appeal the Fifth Circuit's uh, Supreme Court decision? Well, I just wish I it, I we'd just, have a decent policy does, somewhere. Which we don't. You know, you know, know, let's this just, guy wants to let everybody in the world in. And, you know, you can't do that. You just can't do that. You know? And I, and I think if, if there's anything that Trump, as uh, Donald Trump said right, is that, you know, definitely that. I want an immigration policy. Yeah, we all do. I, I really do like Not this hit, hit or miss stuff. Huh. A real policy and uh, have people become citizens in the right way. Yeah. And, you know, but at the same time, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But anyway, we're, uh, we've got a lot to think about here. Um,. something new to the to, to, to the 
public debate, attention. if yeah. you will. Yeah, you know, it, it here is the and I've had it in Europe for for decades and decades. And, uh, here is a challenge for presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. He has long described himself as a democratic socialist. A Gallup poll earlier this year found only 47% of Americans said they would vote for a socialist for president. More people said they would support an atheist, a Muslim, or a Mormon rather than a, than a socialist. Oh, my God. Huh. Asked during last month's Democratic debate about a, how a socialist of any, of any kind could be elected president, the Vermont Senator said, we're going to win because we're going to explain what democratic socialism is. And so Sanders is set to give a big speech Thursday explaining what he means by democratic socialism. Think socialism, and you may think of the government taking over the steel mills and the oil refineries, the means of production. That's not what Sanders has in mind. But he does envision a greatly expanded role for government. Sanders is calling for things like Medicare, for all the free public college paid for by higher taxes on the wealthy. I agree with him on that. Yeah, so do I. It do some redistribution of wealth. But he's thinking modern-day Denmark, not 1950s USSR. Still, when you say socialism, many people think of Marx and Lenin. Well, Bernie Sanders uh, is taking on an uphill fight, but he's trying to change the definition of a basic word. Um, Every program that conservatives haven't liked for the last 40 years has been identified as a socialistic program. And no one has been standing up to defend socialism. In fact, and the effect that the word has taken on very negative connotations because no one has taken the time to define it differently. But the very viable, uh, the very viability of Bernie Sanders' candidacy depends on whether he can take the word back, given it new meaning. And his democratic socialism speech is part of that. There is a history of being political, of big political speeches designed to take on and neutralize the lingering concerns of voters. And here are four speeches Sanders might use as models. Uh, yeah, this is interesting. Where first is John Kennedy on his Catholic faith uh, in 1960, and Mitt Romney's faith in America speech, and President Obama's speech on race. And Reagan's A Time for Choosing. Reagan wasn't running for president. He was an actor and a pitchman who had been enlisted by the campaign of Barry Goldwater to make a case for the Republican nominee. And Reagan used the speech to reclaim conservatism. Somewhere a perversion has taken place, Reagan said in a television speech before a live audience. Our natural unalienable rights are now considered to be a dispensation of government and freedom has never been so fragile, so close to sipping through our grasp as it is in this moment. Well, yeah. useful to have someone explain things to us. Well, he said, watching the speech to see the clearly the early threads of conservative movement. In many ways, the Reagan speech is a mirror image of what Sanders aims to do with his speech. It's not about identity. It's about ideology and a view about the size and role of government in American life. Reagan, though it should be smaller, thought it should be smaller, Sanders thinks the role of government should be larger. And like so many elections before it, that is likely to be one of the defining debates of his contest. 
And here's a, this is uh, Ronald Reagan in 1964 explaining uh, the defense of conservatism. I'm not going to go 29 minutes on this, but we will go for a few minutes. See what he has to say. Yeah. The following pre-recorded political program is sponsored by TV for Goldwater Miller on behalf of Barry Goldwater, Republican candidate for President of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, we take pride in presenting a thoughtful address by Ronald Reagan. Mr. Reagan. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was 50 years ago. Thank you and good evening. The sponsor has been identified, but unlike most television programs, the performer hasn't been provided with a script. As a matter of fact, I have been permitted to choose my own words and discuss my own ideas regarding the choice that we face in the next few weeks. I have spent most of my life as a Democrat. I recently have seen fit to follow another course. I believe that the issues confronting us cross party lines. Now. One side in this campaign has been telling us that the issues of this election are the maintenance of peace and prosperity. The line has been used, we've never had it so good. But I have an uncomfortable feeling that this prosperity isn't something on which we can base our hopes for the future. No nation in history has ever survived a tax burden that reached a third of its national income. Today, 37 cents out of every dollar earned in this country is the tax collector's share. And yet our government continues to spend $17 million a day more than the government takes in. We haven't balanced our budget 28 out of the last 34 years. We've raised our debt limit three times in the last 12 months. And now our national debt is one and a half times bigger than all the combined debts of all the nations of the world. We have $15 billion in gold in our treasury. We don't own an ounce. Foreign dollar claims are $27.3 billion. And we've just had announced that the dollar of 1939 will now purchase 45 cents in its total value. As for the peace that we would preserve, I wonder who among us would like to approach the wife or mother whose husband or son has died in South Vietnam and ask them if they think this is a peace that should be maintained indefinitely. Do they mean peace or do they mean we just want to be left in peace? There can be no real peace while one American is dying someplace in the world for the rest of us. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it's been said if we lose that war, and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite 
in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Man's old, old age dream, the ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. In this vote harvesting time, they use terms like the great society, or as we were told a few days ago by the president, we must accept a greater government activity in the affairs of the people. But they've been a little more explicit in the past, and among themselves, and all of the things I now will quote have appeared in print, these are not Republican accusations. For example, they have voices that say, the Cold War will end through our acceptance of a not undemocratic socialism. Another voice says the profit motive has become outmoded. It must be replaced by the incentives of the welfare state. Or our traditional system of individual freedom is incapable of solving the complex problems of the 20th century. Senator Fulbright has said at Stanford University that the Constitution is outmoded. He referred to the president as our moral teacher and our leader. And he says he is hobbled in his task by the restrictions of power imposed on him by this antiquated document. He must be freed so that he can do for us what he knows is best. And Senator Clark of Pennsylvania, another articulate spokesman, defines liberalism as meeting the material needs of the masses through the full power of centralized government. Well, I for one resent it when a representative of the people refers to you and me, the free men and women of this country, as the masses. This is a term we haven't applied to ourselves in America. But beyond that, the full power of centralized government. This was the very thing the Founding Fathers sought to minimize. They knew that governments don't control things. A government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they know when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose. They also knew, those Founding Fathers, that outside of its legitimate functions, government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Now, we have no better example of this than government's involvement in the farm economy over the last 30 years. Since 1955, the cost of this program has nearly doubled. One-fourth of farming in America is responsible for 85% of the farm surplus. Three-fourths of farming is out on the free market and has known a 21% increase in the per capita consumption of all its produce. You see that one-fourth of farming, that's regulated and controlled by the federal government. In the last three years, we've spent $43 in the feed grain program for every dollar bushel of corn we don't grow. Senator Humphrey last week charged that Barry Goldwater as president would seek to eliminate farmers. He should do his homework a little better because he'll find out that we've had a decline of 5 million in the farm population under these government programs. He'll also find that the Democratic administration has sought to get from Congress extension of the farm program to include that three-fourths that is now free. You'll find that they've also asked for the right to imprison farmers who wouldn't keep books as prescribed by the federal government. The Secretary of Agriculture asked for the right to seize farms through condemnation and resell them to other individuals. And contained in that same program was a provision that would have allowed the federal government to remove two million farmers from the soil. At the same time, 
There's been an increase in the Department of Agriculture employees. There's now one for every 30 farms in the United States. And still, they can't tell us how 66 shiploads of grain headed for Austria disappeared without a trace, and Billy Solestis never left shore. <laughs> Every responsible farmer and farm organization has repeatedly asked the government to free the farm economy. But how, who are farmers to know what's best for them? The wheat farm... This is something that, uh, this might be a speech that would be good to listen to at another time. But I think that, uh, I'm quite impressed with that. But uh, um, I wanted to, uh, we're, we're going to finish tonight off here. I want to thank uh, everybody who joined us. Sorry that uh, our friend uh, Larry couldn't join us tonight, but uh, uh, maybe he'll join us next week. Or maybe, yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Yeah, it'd be nice to have him on. Uh, sorry we couldn't do it. But in the meantime, I'm glad that you were able to watch what we to watch, uh, listen to some of these great speeches and things. And um, yeah. you can go to the AFL-CIO blog now, or you can go to councilforward.org and catch up on oh, things. Why not? So in the meantime, thank you for joining us, and good night, everybody. Good night, folks. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.